Are you ready? Yeah. Okay, hold on. Let me just stir up my craton a little bit. Stir up your what? Craton? Craton. Oh, I was like, are you taking pre-workout? No, I am addicted to opioids now. That's one thing that's been happening in this last four months that's it's kind of come between us. Really? Mm-hmm. Opioids and PhDs. Yeah, so you, Katrina... What have yeah. you been up to in the last four months? Um, you know, I um, finished my novel and I defended. Ooh, yeah, I mean, mostly, you know, is a novel is a novel ever truly finished? Though? Oh God. <laughs> um, yeah, I finished that and I defended my dissertation. Um. Ooh. I think I passed, although one of my panel members decided to not even show up. So, mm. so maybe I'm not going to graduate. But other than that, um, everything has gone swimmingly. I don't know. How's, how's your writing going? Um, well, it's going pretty well. I have a fellowship right now, so I'm just sitting on my ass every day and writing and writing and writing. I'm almost done. I'm very close to being done. Yeah, my fellowship's almost done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're both almost out of money. <laughs> yeah, we're both almost done. Um, I'm gonna be out of money next month. So yeah, me too. End of next month. It's gonna be great. Yeah. I got I got that email from my student loans. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so I don't really have student loans. I got scholarships and went to a very cheap school so um and then I have like one small loan that I've defaulted on and so they've just stopped contacting me and just basically plummeted my credit store so they're happy now cool cool um but the writing is the writing is going good right that's that's all that matters I guess I guess we should stay positive right is, is that we're writing oh yeah writing every day? yeah it's like just the pleasure of making art and like just like having like all these consciousnesses come together to really like explore what like life means you know yeah yeah, I mean, I haven't written anything in probably a month and a half, so, you know. <laughs> I'm exploring a lot of art on Bravo TV currently. That is a good choice, and yeah. I think that might lead us into our intro. What do you think? Yeah, um, because who reads books anymore? Who reads books anymore? <laughs> um, I know that I watch a whole lot of TV. Yeah, and I think that kind of given... Um, the reality of marketing my book that's and selling my book, shopping my book that's coming up very mm -hmm. soon and kind of reading about what I can expect and, um, you know, how low my advance is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of like just, uh, become so sick of, uh, of books that I pretty much stopped reading them except for D.H. Lawrence. All I read anymore is D.H. Lawrence. Oh, I love The Rocking Horse Winner. That's like one of my yeah. favorite short stories of all time. Yeah. You know why I like it is because the walls were whispering money because that motherfucker was broke too. <laughs> <laughs> Everywhere he went, the walls were like, give me the money. And mm -hmm. I feel I relate to that. Show like, me the money. That was actually the... 
That was the original text that uh, Jerry Maguire was built on, I think, right. or based on. Yeah. Loosely, loosely based. Loosely Loose. based. Loosely. D.H. Lawrence, uh, The Rocking Horse. Yeah. Um, I feel like TV and film uh, really fucked me up in terms of what my life as a writer was going to be like. Absolutely. Were a lot of movies and TV shows and um, glamorizations of writing that I was like, sign me up. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that the reality is here, I should have taken the other path, the other path that led me to the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I'm ready to sell out. Okay, wow. So that's really the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> Like, it wasn't, like, I don't know, studying, like, finance or um, bec- in, or marketing or communications or um, becoming a scientist. It's really just marrying, marrying no, somebody. No, it's, really it's really just real estate. It's really real just estate real estate speculation. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, I just should have went straight to, like, real estate and marrying rich yeah, so I think that for me, I wanted to be a writer because I wrote zines and uh, was part of, in high school, like was part of like a rich kind of radical community that where writing was like very empowering. Um, right, you were way cool. Um I was, I'm not. I don't mean this facetiously. I'm. I'm being like. No, like no. You would have, I would have thought you were pretty cool in high school. No, I was. Aw- I was like so awful. I was one of the ugliest people in the world. I'm convinced. <laughs> I was like hideous. <laughs> and I think I've Benjamin buttoned. Like I think that I like aged in reverse because when I show pictures of myself as a teenager to people, they're like. Speaking you were- of adaptations, Benjamin Button was written by who wrote that? I don't know. That's a short story. Oh God. I think it's Twain. It's like somebody like fucking lame like that. Uh, 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 I love Twain. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> or like F. Scott Fitzgerald. Oh, okay, sorry. It wasn't somebody lame at all. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> take everything back. <laughs> This is Sutter Home Companion, episode six. Episode six. All right, we did it. We've had uh, a bit of a respite while uh, Katrina was becoming a PhD, salve doctor. Is that what they say? Yeah, I think so. Nobody said it to me, though, because, like I said, I think the university was just like, let her on through. Right, yeah. (laughs) Wait, they were like, wait, who is this? They were like, they were, um, it was like them, it was like that movie, Babe, that'll do, pig. I feel like everybody's like, that'll do, that'll do, pig. Oh, God. See, this is why, this is, this is why we've given up on books. Right. Um, no, I mean, it's, I'm so glad that it was over, and, um, 
I have a manuscript now and hopefully a PhD, although I'm telling you, like, I still haven't, like, gotten final confirmation and I'm a little worried that having a panel member not show up. Also, like, I would like to put this out to our listeners. I hope we have, like, enough listeners. If you know anyone or if you've heard of this before, Mm -hmm. a panel member not showing up to a dissertation defense i would love for you to get in touch with me i'm at cat prow on twitter tweet me slide into my dms i want to know how often this happens or if this is truly or if i truly did have the worst phd experience <laughs> on the planet <laughs> shout out <laughs> texas tech <laughs> texas tech it's possible that i just truly had the most horrific PhD experience on the planet, but I want to commiserate with you. So like, please let me know that, um, that this has happened before I had 1.5 panelists <laughs> because one person Skype, ain't nothing against Skype. We are Skyping right now. We are, but one full human member, one absent member and 0.5 Skype member. But I think, I think I passed. I'm a doctor now. I'm a doctor. <laughs> not a real estate agent so she a phd she phd yeah play a hating degree (laughs) um i am just an mfa a motherfucking artist (laughs) shut the fuck up artist (laughs) okay so we will be talking today about writers on film about book adaptations do we like them do we not like them do we like the way writers hannah horrath Yes. Should we start there? Should we start with the finale of Girls, which is now over? The um, the the face, Lena Dunham, the face that launched a thousand think pieces ships. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can start. We can start with uh, Lena Dunham because I feel like she's probably the most. Like I think that that's the current image of writers. I think For not. Women. For women, I, oh, absolutely. Yeah, let's get into that. Because I think that most, <laughs> let's start there. Um, most of the general public is looking at Hannah and thinking, sadly, that that's what we do. Right. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm, I don't know. I think, uh, well, I mean, there's been a lot of, up, there was a lot of uproar in the, Season six, I think the episode before the last episode, um, Hannah gets a full-time tenure track position, <laughs> liberal arts school in New York. And um, I applied to 40 full-time <laughs> tenure track positions. And you have a PhD. And I have a PhD. And I don't, does Hannah have a no, I don't. I think she's a bachelor's, but she never even finished her MFA at Iowa. Which, to begin with, I found that plot line um, unbelievable. That's when I got. That's when it lost me, to be honest. Yeah. Um. I I stick with shows till the bitter end. Um. I I watch. I like to watch the ship completely sink into the ocean. So I I stayed with girls, even though I all I too found that plot line. Um, completely ludicrous. Um, well, the workshops, I thought the workshops were, like, not accurate. 
Yeah, it it was a little too, like, they weren't, um, I mean, I will say, God, I don't really want to, like, say anything positive about Workshop, because I'm not too sure Workshop works anymore. <laughs> it doesn't. Like, the workshops that we were in, I felt, were pretty objective, whereas, like, the ones that Hannah was in, do you remember how, like, personal it was? Like, they were, like, outing her as being the narrator in her story, like, stuff. Oh, yeah, that's totally not allowed. Like, stuff that, like, people wouldn't do, and then, like, talking about personal things, like, and I get that they need to create drama, so I guess that's the difference, again, between, like, real life and TV, is we need a storyline, we need drama, we need conflict. But there would be moments in the workshop where somebody would be like, remember when you, like, ate all the cookies at the party last night? And it's like, nobody's talking about mm. that of workshopping your story. Like, I do think that we take it professionally. Yeah, and I think that um, there, I think that workshops are miserable in other actually more dramatic and interesting ways than she portrayed them to be. Because, yeah. like, if I remember correctly, there was, like, one there was maybe one black man in the, in the group and in like the entire series. Well, in the entire series, but like in, <laughs> in the workshop, no, what's his name? Childish. Remember when Childish Gambino was on it? <laughs> it was like, hold on. We need a, we need a black man to be in the show. And With get this. Man. He's yeah. going to be Republican. Oh, <laughs> it was so oh, dumb. So bad. It was really bad. Um, but also, no, there was like, I think if I'm remembering correctly, and it's been a long time since I've seen this, but, um, I, so there's like a black man who is in the workshop and like all of the people are like falling over themselves to like talk about how great he is. And like, I think that they're even like comparing Hannah's work to his and how his is so much more impactful and all of this stuff. And I think that many people of color who have been in creative writing workshops in graduate school would in fact say that that is rarely the case for them. And that she kind of portrayed, I don't know. I mean, while I think that she was portraying, I don't know, something, right. Some sort of, um, way that writers are, white writers are, um, or the way they treat people of color, I think that, um, most of the workshops I've been in, there's the white standard, the white literature, and male, too, we can, I think we can relate to this as females, the white male, Iowa-based, right, everyone who came out of Iowa is a good writer, standard of writing, Uh and then there's everyone else, And so different perspectives or even like different narrative patterns or structures aren't respected Mm -hmm. in the same way that that. Yeah, there's always that like, um, and I feel like it's a comment that's made usually right away when writing has been shared. It's like you either get the comment of like, oh, this is so like reminiscent of like Raymond Carver writer, right? white male writer and that's a compliment right mm-hmm. you get the comment that's like oh you are like breaking tradition and you're so going against the grain with what you're doing and I think that perhaps that's meant to be a compliment but in saying it that way there's always like the slightest bit of shade of like you're not Steinbeck so let's figure out how to talk about you. And we're basically going to talk about you as being like, not traditional. Like, 
right. comparison. There's still that inherent comparison there's to this... traditional white male model. Yeah. There's this um, kind of, in my program, and I'm sure it's program specific too, um, but in my program, there is this idea that experimentation, pseudo-philosophical, Western, white, philosophical um, gestures and explorations are the highest form of art, and everything else is kind of um, uh, middle-brow. <laughs> no, but do you see that the way that we're talking to each other right now, these conversations didn't happen on girls, and they didn't happen... Mm-hmm shops right so like this was like this type of conversation that we're having is the way that writing workshops are right it's not this sort of like catty I mean there is like one upping each other but I feel done so much more slyly and and I don't know I mean it just I don't think uh yeah I don't think Hannah's experience in a writer's workshop is at all what people's experience in a writer's workshop is and again please like challenge us if you went to Iowa writers group and that's what it looks mm-hmm. like please let us know because we went to state school so. yeah I would like I would actually honestly like to start an open um, I would like to be openly uh, openly antagonistic towards people who went to Iowa we have. First of all, they get all the benefits. They get all the benefits because there's no standard of taste, really, for for publishing. And so a name can really get you a lot of places. Um, I mean, it's like any other career, right? If you go to fucking Harvard, you're going to get a job faster than someone who went to Ohio State. Probably. So I would just like to say, fuck Iowa. I think that every writer that I've read that's come out of Iowa is tepid, um, normal, fairly boring and there's this fetishization of spirituality and language and nature that puts me to fucking sleep there i said it you heard it here first guys you heard it here first sutter home companion is now officially opposed to the iowa writers workshop i didn't even apply there i wasn't even interested in going I mean, I didn't even know that it was a thing. Like, this is how, I mean, I'm going to say it. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. When you grow up in Southern California, you have <laughs> Southern California blindness to other uh-huh. places. And so, as far as I was concerned, you want to know what Iowa was? Iowa was UC Irvine, okay? Right. I applied, like, I applied to UC Irvine. I clearly got rejected. But, like, I wouldn't have even thought of, A, applying out of state, B, applying <laughs> Iowa? Are you fucking kidding? Like, no. I applied to all of the MFAs in California, and my Iowa was UC Irvine, because everybody oh, that yeah. I've said, if you get into UC Irvine, you are, you're made in the shade. In any case, this is good. I'm glad we're opening with girls, because I think that there are just the varieties of the experience of the writer, of writers on film, that right. perhaps... Um, the show really got wrong. Um, well, and so that was like, I mean, so I, what I did, I didn't 100% hate girls. I'm going to go ahead and say that there is like a handful of episodes of girls that I think were so well crafted and so well done and so smart. I am also going to say that none of those episodes featured Hannah, like 100%, <laughs> none of those episodes had to do with Hannah. 
But I do like that they tried to show like bo- both sides of the coin, like sort of this is what academic look writing looks like, even though it wasn't. And then sort of this other way of writing, right? So I like that girls sort of tackled that MFA versus NYC. New York, yeah. It did that. Although I don't think it was accurate on either end of the no. spectrum. I mean, you know more about that, but like I don't think even in season six, I know you haven't seen it, but Hannah starts getting all of these job offers and it's like all of these research, do these research think pieces. And one of them, she, um, did you see the first episode where she goes to like a surf camp? No. Um, Chelsea Peretti, which I love. Oh, I love her. Interviews her and is like, yeah, so we read your thing in the New York times and we like you, we're into it and we want to send you to an all women surf camp. And we want you to learn how to surf and then write an article about it. And, of course, Hannah being Hannah is like, some things you need to know about me. I'm super judgmental. I don't like to do anything. I don't know how to surf. And it's like, we don't care. We're going to give you the job anyway. And I feel like even that whole conversation that they have at, like, a chic-ass bistro in New York City over iced coffee, it's like, I don't think that that's how anybody is getting jobs if they're taking the NYC track. So I think, like, with the NYC track, I think that there's some of these old guard publications that fetishize the young people who are, you know, kind of doing uh, digital media writing. And But I think that they still have to be very aligned with um, the old guard in order to get these jobs. And I think that one of those examples would be Gia Tolentino, who is now a staff writer for The New Yorker. I think she's probably 27, 26. She's in her late 20s, I think. Um, She had got her MFA from the University of Michigan, which is another top-tier program. Um, So, you know, I think that there is... But in that case, the kind of academic and New York worlds kind of collide in order for this very young woman to get this position in Old Guard NYC publication. So I don't really know. I think that the reality of being a writer in New I don't know how. The reality of being a writer in New York is that you have to have money already to be a writer in New York. There's no way, you know, or you have to work. You know, when I lived in New York, I was delivering groceries. Um, and we're, I was working the whole time I was in New York and I did very little writing while I was there. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I met a lot of publishers. I, you know, I participated in a bunch of stuff, but I don't, I mean, I also, I don't know. I wasn't writing as well as I am now. So I think that that's important to take into consideration. I was a shitty writer then. So it's true. Yeah. So this whole discussion of like Hannah's, we should plug the article is coming from an article from Vulture, um, yeah. uh, called "Hannah on Girls Could Not Have Gotten That Job," um, and it's by Catherine Van Aaron Aaron Donk. Forgive me for saying <laughs> Um, but you know she talks about this. Um. She says, you know, but I will tell you this, based on her resume, Hannah is about as likely to have gotten a job teaching writing that would pay her enough to live in a house, give her health insurance that would cover her child, and also provide sufficient support so she could afford childcare, as I am to sprout wings and take take to the skies. 
And as if the hiring itself weren't as unrealistic enough, teaching students about, quote, the Internet, quote, is an entire discipline already. Um, So if you've, you know, seen the episode, that's like the thing is that she's being hired to teach the Internet. So they're sort of uh, in the episode acknowledging the fact that Hannah doesn't know anything about like traditional writing or like publishing or anything like that. Right. But she knows about writing about the writing on the internet, which is ridiculous because it says, you know, digital humanities, new media, communication, Mm -hmm. technical, professional communications. These are all like established uh, disciplines that she would have to have a PhD in to teach. mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Later in this article, she writes, Girls has always had a fraught relationship with realism. It has been a fundamental <laughs> point. It has been a fundamental part of both show and the critical response to it. Um, is the series trying to argue that this is what millennial life is really like? It's a show that's laudably and unusually grounded in elements of realism that you don't often see on TV, especially stuff to do with women's bodies, with how it feels to break up with someone with the kinds of jobs someone might have in her mid-20s, with the food people would actually eat, with what sex might look like between two people who feel awkward with one another. Its realism is physical, bodily, fleshy. Um, And so then further on it goes, and it talks about Hannah's apartment. This is what it reminded me of you talking about these jobs that you had in New York. Um, There's been complaints about Hannah's apartment. How could she pay for it? Where does the rent come from? Um, how did Hannah get that job at GQ, right? She gets hired at GQ at some point, which is insane. Um, there have been similar questions about all of the characters, about their jobs and wardrobes and living arrangements. Um, there are important, serious questions about the way the show whitewashes the world. Cue Childish Gambino. Uh, <laughs> the way it tried to clumsily swing the pendulum in the other direction. Um, so I guess it's like... Uh, later, I really love this part, is there anything that actually changes about how we think about girls knowing that Hannah was somehow able to get hired for a life-altering, circumstance-rescuing position that even within her world of the show is at least half parody? Did I mention that her job is to teach, quote, the Internet? Um, So this article is basically, you know, just talking about how the show lives between fantasy and reality and so this job is just an aspect is part of the fantasy that like that somebody like her would get i mean she would never get this job she would never ever 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 get this job no and i think that's really interesting because i think that might be one of the reasons why i don't i've kind of struggled with girls since she went to iowa that was literally what killed it for me i was like that yeah Um, First of all, she would never get into Iowa, ever. No. Um, is that I don't know what to take seriously, and I don't know what is fantasy, as this as this article is talking about. I think that's really good. <laughs> well, well, yeah, because I was going to ask, which do you think that there is an accurate? I mean, we could start with that. If you, I know you enjoyed Patterson. Like, is there? I did the highly divisive in the Sutter home worlds. Um, Patterson movie, Jim Jarmusch. And I'm going to say that I think a lot, part of the reason why I like this so much is that I heard this interview with Jim Jarmusch 
and he has turned into such and he maybe he always was this way but now he's just such a soft <laughs> lovely man um talking about poetry and jobs and um you know realism and i think that he's just a very interesting interesting guy so what inspired me to see Patterson, because this is normally, if I saw that this was the movie, I would say, no, thank you. It's got a lot of hits against it, right? Um, <laughs> it's got Jim Jarmusch, I'm like iffy on, or I was iffy on already, okay? Then it's about a dude, okay? Again, not interested. Then it's about a poet, and I'm like, oh, God, really? <laughs> like, especially a dude poet? I don't know if I can handle it. A straight dude poet? I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then it's set in, like, you know, metro New York area. It's like, I don't know, I don't know. But I read this article on Lit Hub by Emily Temple um, that's uh, kind of talking about writers on film and how Patterson, to her, is one of the most realistic um, movies about a writer. Um, and so she says, okay, Jim Jarmusch's Patterson is about neither hitting the big time... Okay, before I read this, for those who haven't seen Patterson, I think I just said it. It's about a guy who's a poet, who lives in the greater New York area, who drives a bus for his um, job. He is Adam from Girls. Adam Driver. Yeah. He's such a, hot. He's super Such a hot. milky, milky-skinned little man. Um... Yeah, he's a such just like an awkward like none of the body parts are the right size or like are in the right place. Everything like, feels really patchwork about him. Like I feel like an ear is lower than the other. Um, but he's so good looking. It's like so wrong that it's right. I feel like with him. Yeah. Okay. Jarmish's Patterson, which is about neither hitting the big time nor about failing miserably. It is neither hopeful nor hopeless. It is, in fact, the most realistic movie about an artist that I have ever seen, despite its spattering of surrealist, surrealist Jarmuschian elements. The twins Patterson sees everywhere, the Japanese stranger's final salvo. The film follows a young man named Patterson, who lives in Patterson, New Jersey, and who loves William Carlos Williams, one of Patterson's famous residents, whose epic poem, also called Patterson, appears in numerous scenes in the movie, which, just as a reminder, is called Patterson. Patterson is a bus driver, and he is also a poet. His poems are neither good nor terrible. Some have their moments. He lives with a woman, Laura, who is in turns trying, who is by turns trying and wonderful, and who creates art with abandon. Her eye Art is neither good nor terrible. It has its moments. Her cupcakes look delicious. In this film, Patterson does what most writers uh, does what most writers, not writers whose names you know, although those two, but actually most writers do. He writes for himself in obscurity. He writes before work, during his lunch break, and sometimes after work. He writes in the moments that he has available to him, the moments that are not cons consumed by his job or by his relationship or by the sometimes wonderful, sometimes unsatisfying day-to-day -day business of his life. He does not seem to want to do anything with his poems. He does not want to publish them or share them with anyone other than Laura. He just wants to write them. He just wants to write them and have a beer in the evening and wake up next to the woman he loves in the morning. 
Patterson does not wind up with a book contract at the end of the movie. He does not even receive any external appreciation for his poems other than from his partner, who, as the movie frequently reminds us, has an extremely low bar for beauty. Which I think is really interesting because there's this really great part where um, that I really liked where he um, is talking about William Carlos Williams with her. And she says, read me that one I love. Read me that one I really love. And it's the one about the plum and the icebox. Yeah. And it's so, it's like just so good that that's the poem that she loves. And it like, seeing it through her eyes was like very, I I thought was very touching. Um, I do love that poem though. I do too. That's such a good poem. I'm sorry I ate it, but it was delicious. <laughs> yeah, it's a great poem. It's a really, yeah. it's, I prefer that one to the Red Wheelbarrow. I know a lot of people talk about the Red Wheelbarrow, and I'm like, no way. It's, this is just to say the plums and the icebox are the best ones. Yeah. So good. Um, so it says, it, she kind of closes this article. Uh, she's comparing it to Inside Llewellyn Davis, which I think is a Coen Brothers movie about um, a gloomy folk musician. Uh, which I'm also not really interested in. Um, But like Inside Llewellyn Davis, Patterson leaves its protagonist more or less where he started. But unlike it, while watching Patterson, you get the sense that all of Patterson's days writing poetry are for himself. And they're adding up to something, even if it's nothing that would be called success by an external judge. This is a much better story for the aspiring writer than either the rags to riches tale or the doom and gloom one, because this is a story that posits that the work can be and should be enough. You probably won't get famous. You'll probably have to keep your day job. Often your days will be boring. Often your poems will be bad. Sometimes they will be good. And all of that's all right. That's how it should be. More importantly, that's how it is. Mm, I wish I read that before <laughs> I watched it because I might have had a different uh, reading of the film. Mm-hmm. What's your hot take? Um, I did not hate it. There are, I mean, we sort of compiled a list about movies about featuring writers or about writers. Um, I, I, we compiled like a preliminary preliminary list like a long ass time ago when we were supposed to like record and fucking February but then it happened but and I've been asking people and you know when I see them like hey what's your favorite movie with a writer in it and just you know by conversation there are ones that I truly 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 fucking hate um I don't really hate (laughs) sorry Tully's Tully Tully wants to be Tully fucking hated Patterson and she hates writers and she hates me (laughs) (laughs) She wanted to be let out of the bedroom. That's why she's barking. I I think I just felt like an overwhelming meh about it. Yeah. Which is maybe, I mean, to go to what this article says, I mean, that's kind of what this article is saying, is that, like, the life of a writer is, like, overwhelmingly meh. Like, it's just like, yeah. you know, nothing really happens. But I think that... What really rubbed me the wrong way was that it felt um, a little too, like, whimsy and polite and, like, cute. It was a little cute. And I guess I just, when I think about the writing life, I mean, maybe the difference here is is a poet, perhaps, versus mm-hmm. a writer. Is it, It's just... Um, 
nothing against the poems that were in there because I think they're Jim Jerusa's poems. They're like somebody's poems, actual. Poems. Yeah, there's an, a real poet who wrote the poems in Patterson. Yeah, it just they seem a little trite to me. They're not good. They're Ron Paget. Ron okay. Paget is who wrote the poems. They're not great to me, and I don't really know if they're saying anything, and there's, uh, I don't know, they seem to be kind of like slice of life, like here's my observation of what the day holds, and maybe because our character Patterson just like rides the bus, like the only moment of like trauma, right, is when that bus, when the bus doesn't work. Remember when the bus doesn't work? Or and when it- the dog eats his notebook. Well, okay, yeah, there's that, too. But I'm thinking of, like... Like in his daily life. Daily life, right? The big mm-hmm. trauma is... And you're watching this movie, and you're waiting for a, for a trauma. You're waiting... I read one, like, review that says, like, every time he goes into the bar when he takes the dog for a walk, he sort of leaves the dog very, like, loosely tied outside. You're, like, waiting for the dog to get stolen. You're waiting for something to happen. And then the bus doesn't work. And so he has to take everybody off the bus. And you just think, I don't know, like as a writer, I just think like, there it is. Like there's the poem, right? When the bus didn't work. And there's like, I'm waiting for this to become like the seed of something. And then he doesn't, it doesn't, it like, it just sort of like, I don't know, like lops off. And to me, it's like, I don't know. It just was like a little too precious that like he doesn't, there's no, I mean, yeah, the dog eats the notebook, and I guess he's upset, but he doesn't, like, really even get upset. I think that he is really upset, and that he, I don't know, I think that there... There's, like, no yelling? No, 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 and he's just very, he goes for that walk, and then he has that conversation with that man talking about William Carlos Williams, Um, and... I, I don't know. I think that in terms of realism, it was very well done. Like, I like that nothing happened, really, right? That there was this very minor story. It's this very minor story about a man who is writing, but not in, like, a pretentious, like, I'm going to change the world way, right? He's writing because he loves to do it. He loves his wife, right. you know, he, he doesn't hate driving the bus. Um, and it's just something that makes his days better. Right. And I think that that just feels so human and I don't know, just so good. And so when the dog eats the note, the dog eats the dog who is the star of the movie, probably. Right. Yeah. Clearly. Um, he like eats the notebook where he keeps his poems and his wife had been telling him that he should type them into the computer and, but all the poems are gone then, um, that he's been It's like, he on. doesn't have a smartphone. He doesn't yeah. type his poems. He's a letter. You know, it's like a little whimsy. That's what I'm saying. Like, that was the part where I was like, this is not, I know that a lot of poets still write, you know, freehand, a lot of fiction writers, a lot of writers in general still write freehands and, part of that felt there's something about that that felt um I don't know like false like yeah to me I don't I just didn't buy it yeah and I think that there are definitely like twee moments I think that the character of his wife I don't like I actually like found her like just patently 
repulsive. Um, and so I think that that's a problem. Like, I think it would have been more interesting if he had had a wife that had a personality other than like playing guitar and making cupcakes. Um, but I, I think that there is something to be said for this idea that the only way that you're going to be a writer, right. Or the only, the only reason why writing matters is that it makes you, it satisfies something in you. Right. And that's what, you know, it does for him. So, and I also liked the economics, right. I think that in the case of Hannah in girls and a lot of other writers, economics doesn't really come into it at all. And in this case, you know, the, his work life is portrayed, um, in depth, um, throughout the movie and it's you kind of just get the rhythm of that life and the fact that he's working full-time as a bus driver and all this stuff so I think that that's also something that is really good about this movie yeah I mean I didn't like I said I didn't hate it it's a it's a standard it's like middle of the road for me it's a it's yeah I cried I cried a lot because there's this moment where it's like he, even though, like, he doesn't say anything, right, he goes to, like, the mill or the waterfall or whatever it is in Patterson, and that's where he has that encounter at the end with the this Japanese tourist who's in town because he loves William Carlos Williams, and they talk, and I think that, you know, up to that point, there was this crisis of, you know, why is he doing this? Does he want to keep doing this? All of his poems were just destroyed. Like, why start over this futility of it? And then, like, having this very quiet conversation with the man, he gives him a notebook. And it is a little cutesy, but I think that there's a magic to that that I really liked. Wow, I certainly didn't cry. So we are divided here at Sutter Home Companion. It's fine, though. We can agree to disagree. Yeah, which is good. Um... Yeah. Okay. So on to, let's go ahead and wrap this up. What are, what other kind of writers and films should we talk about? Do you want to talk about Sideways? Um, I really like Sideways. I think Sideways is one of my favorite. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I really love Sideways. Probably the most prominent is because it was filmed and takes place in like my hometown and like, I'm working where in you're wine. currently working and yeah, and I'm working in wine industry right now. And so there's a lot of sort of similarities with the sort of magic around working in the wine industry and being a winemaker. And uh, I think being a writer, I think those two things are really connected. Um, and the winemaker that I work for currently is also a writer, and she has said to me on several occasions that um, wine tells a story, right? And so there's that whole thing of, like, how... And they talk about this in Sideways, that, like, it's not just about the glass of wine that you're drinking. It's about the grapes, and it's about the vineyards, and it's about the person who picked it, and then who made it, and, and how long it had to sit in that barrel. And then, you know, it's like this whole... Mm -hmm fermentation process and I think the metaphor of wine and writing works really really beautiful um and there's also this Don Quixote wine thing where and I can't remember what it is do you remember it where he's talking about wine and like tasting the metal of a key and the leather of its strap in the wine 
Like someone had dropped their key in the wine? Uh-uh. No, I don't remember that part. It's one of my favorite things. I think about that all the time. Like the key and the leather strap and tasting that in wine. Anyway, continue. Yeah. The, so I mean, my whole, so every day when I go to work, like this is sort of what I'm surrounded in. And it's crazy for me because I have to describe wine to people um, as if it's it's very similar to writing to me. All that I think about is that it's very similar to writing is that like these people come in and they don't necessarily want to hear they kind of don't give a shit about what the wine tastes like. I'm going to be completely honest. Like no one. Oh, I don't. Cares. When I go wine tasting, I no certainly don't. Cares. What they want is they want that story. They want you to tell them that it's got like, you know, notes of uh, there's one the wine tasting notes. So our tasting notes at my work are really, really good because my winemaker was a writer. She was a journalist for a long time. So our tasting notes talk about, you know, bright hints of Meyer lemon and green apple and and a bold, zesty hue of golden sunlight. And it's like, that's what people want. People want, mm-hmm. they want the fiction. That's what they want. Um, the narrative of, narrative like, of it. And so yeah. I think that Sideways does a really great job because here you have this sort of like, and I guess what I see when I think of writers is I see sort of this like cliche old white man who can't get laid, who's got a novel and can't get it published and is kind of odd and weird and takes things way too seriously. Like to me, that's I, I love Paul Giamatti and I love him paired with Thomas Hayden. Like that is like the ideal like buddy buddy comedy pairing for me absolutely absolutely but it's like there's something about that movie that i think just really gets it right and um and the fact that you know i i can't remember what the girl's name is that he likes that works at the hitching post shout out central coast (laughs) um but that he does end up sending her his um his book and that she does read it like there's something about that i mean there's been, just since I finished my dissertation, a handful of people who have been like, oh, hey, send me your novel, send me your novel. And the fact that... Like, oh, yeah, send me your novel. Oh, okay, I will. <laughs> and that one person reads it, like, shout out to the one person who reads it is going to be Tatiana. You know, like, the one yeah. person who reads it to come back and be like, it was really lovely. That, the phone, I think my favorite scene is um the phone call that happens at the end when she does call and she says, you know, like, God, that was really beautiful. There's that one moment and sort of the really specific description of his writing um, and how it's so sad. And she's like just a normie waitress who's very uh, thrown off by how terribly sad his book is. And it's like, what? but it would be, it would be, mm-hmm. look at this guy, look at his terribly sad life. Um, that's one to me, I don't know if I want to say it's the most accurate, but when I watch Sideways, it doesn't annoy me. Like, that feels like a real writer. I watch it's, Paul Giamatti, and he feels like a writer to me in that. He doesn't feel like a like a faux writer, like a fake writer, TV writer. feels like the real deal. Yeah. I, could, I, I actually really like Sideways. And I think that another reason why it works so well is because it's about something other than writing you know like Mm -hmm. he's a writer but the way he sees the world is like this very writerly way where it's he's kind of self-centered and he's kind of like um 
I don't know, like, he feels like a convincing portrayal of an aspiring male writer in all of the bad, all of the good and bad ways that he is in that movie. But it's not about him necessarily selling his book or working on his book. Yeah. About, like, just kind of all of the disappointments that life hands you. <laughs> right. I would, like, other uh, honorable mentions for writers in film for me would be um, Emma Thompson in Stranger Than Fiction. Um, mm-hmm. I think that... That movie also made me cry. <laughs> it's kind of sad. I know. It's I really think, sad. Like, let's talk about that movie being whimsy. Like, it was super whimsy. But I do think that, like, the things that Emma Thompson does and, like, very particularly I can remember her, like, lying down and imagining what it would be like for her main character to kill themselves a certain way, that is Mm -hmm. 100% true. Like, the stuff that she does, how she's, like, acting things out and, like, trying to come up with an ending. Um, She's a very popular writer, so she has, like, an agent who's on her ass and, like, other – her agent is Queen Latifah. Like, that are, like, (laughs) unrealistic. But um, but I do think that that one was was pretty well done. The way that like it really plagues a writer to figure out how to finish writing shit. You know, like I thought mm-hmm. that was quite well done. Um, I'm there right now. I've got 25 pages that I've been the last 25 pages that I've been working on for like three weeks. It's killing me. Yeah. Um, Wonder Boys, I don't love, but I don't I seen that. hate it either. That's the one with uh, Michael Douglas, Catherine Zeta Jones's old ass husband. Um, oh yeah, wasn't he in like a bunch of psychosexual thrillers in the early nineties? <laughs> yeah, this was from the early two thousands, and like Tobey Maguire is like a little gay boy writer, and Katie Holmes is in it, and she wears red cowboy boots to every workshop. And, of course, like, the professor is in love with Katie Holmes. Um, because all creative writing, male creative writing professors want to fuck their students. Yeah, there's there's parts of it that are, like, super cliche. And this is one of the ones that, like, every time I tell somebody that I write, they're like, oh, have you seen Wonder Boys? It's like, yeah, but that's not, not really it. I mean, it's not 100% false, but it's like, meh. Um, I super hate adaptation. I just rewatched Adaptation last night in preparation for this, and I don't know if it's all the opioids I'm on right now, because I hated it when it came out. Uh, when it, I was like, I don't know, it came out when I was like 20, early, early 20s, very young, and I hated it. I hated everything about it, um, but now there's something that I like about it. So what don't oh, you I like about it. Adaptation? Um, and, the, you know, the crazy thing is it's not Nicolas Cage, because I actually really yeah. like Nicolas Cage. I love Nicolas Cage. Who doesn't love, love Nicolas, Nicolas Cage? Cage? Um, he is so disgusting in that movie, too. Like, just, like, oh, there's, physically like, repulsive. There's something about it that was extremely hard to watch. So maybe that means that it's good, but it was, like, physically hard for me to watch. I stopped halfway through because I just was felt uncomfortable. Like, there was... um. I don't know. So much masturbating. He's, like, constantly masturbating, which feels very accurate to me for a male writer. Not for me personally, but, like, for a male writer. Like, if I had a dollar for every time Jonathan Franzen wrote about his main character masturbating, I would have, like, $15, which is a lot, considering (laughs) the number of texts he's written. Yeah, um... 
maybe that's maybe that was it. But I, there was something about it that I just thought was a little too um, grotesque. And then I did think that it was like strangely glamorizing it. And maybe that was like all the like sexual stimulation, like it felt a little strangely like grotesque and like glamorous. It's like gross like just give me just give me like Nick Cage from City of Angels like I don't need to see him this life (laughs) that's such a weird era of Nick Cage (laughs) I like that Nick Cage like oh my god can I also say that someone on my street has a license plate that says Nick Cage on it is it him I mean it's like a Toyota Camry from like 98 so it could be him (laughs) also shout out if your license plate is just nick cage and you own a toyota camry get at us we would like to interview you we'd like to bring your neighbor like (laughs) we want to know how you feel about the movie adaptation and how you feel about the movie city of angels okay i think oh okay yeah you know what i love him in this is a bit of a digression is um bad lieutenant have you seen him in that? I love him oh in Las Vegas. We played this. Oh yeah, we played this game before where it was like, which Nick Cage would you would you bang if you have the choice? And it was all of them. Leaving Las Vegas, <laughs> Nick Cage. All of them except maybe adaptation, and not because he's so gross in it, but because I would never have sex with a white male writer. Oh, touche, touche. <laughs> what else did you hear that? <laughs> Just I. There's something about adaptation that just feels, um, I don't know. And it was just, it was too many, like, it was a little too, like, spastic. I don't know. I think I also just didn't like the way it was filmed. Like, something about it just didn't gel with me. It didn't work for me at all. It's very, like, early aughts, like, um, Gen X, um, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of like, yeah, <laughs> I but I don't hate it. I watched, I rewatched it the other night, and I don't hate it. And I'm gonna add one more to the honorable mentions list before we end this segment. Okay, Capote. I actually haven't seen the movie Capote, but that's. Ba- I mean, I feel like that's like actually Capote. So of course it's. I mean, I haven't seen it. I I, I can't make a comment. I haven't. Seen it. It's um Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah. as. Yeah, as Capote, while he's writing um, In Cold Blood, and um, Catherine Keener plays Carson McCullers, and, like, Ooh. who I love. Yeah. Ooh, I love both of acting. them. Yeah. And it's just, I think it's really good. Phil Mar- Philip Seymour Hoffman's Capote voice is pitch perfect. He's like, <laughs> so good. Rest in peace. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, and I think that what's really good about it is that um, he's writing this nonfiction book that, like, everyone cites as, like, one of the first or one of the earliest, like, new journalist kind of, new journalism kind of nonfiction books because he gets so personally involved with this man um, who is accused of killing these people and kind of his way of understanding that and understanding the facts of the case it's just I don't know it's really fascinating and there are these really great moments in like the New York literary scene of that era and like everyone just being like fucking insufferable (laughs) 
So not much has changed in Lat's apartment. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's... I'm trying to think of other... Oh, there was a movie called Starting Out in the Evening. Um, it was an indie film from the early 2000s uh, that actually had... Um, it had really, really wonderful actors in it. I'm trying to remember their names, but I swear to God, they were really wonderful. Um, mm. It had, no, Lauren Ambrose. Oh, my God. She's now a writer, isn't she? I think so. Lauren Ambrose and then uh, Frank Langella. Frank Langella played the older uh, writing teacher and Lauren Ambrose was his student. And so the only reason why, again, this one, like, doesn't, it's and it's more so on the on the students' part. It's like Lauren Ambrose is very obsessed with uh, her instructor, and of course, like something sexual goes down with the two of them. Um, and so it does feel like slightly cliche, but I feel like it's I guess the the thing that that film does differently is that it really shows um, like her the student as the aggressor rather than the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a really great film as well. I mean, it was it was smaller, sort of like indie film um, from the early two thousands. But yeah. So yeah, I think that that is to say that the writers, I think that the writer's life has not fully or often been captured well, and that's probably because there are so many different people who are writers and <laughs> who have very different experiences of being writers maybe. Um, and also it's, it's, I think that it's fed by like a certain kind of, um, idea of what a writer is and, and the fetishization of like genius and all of that shit. Oh, which we're geniuses. I mean, you know, we are geniuses. I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like a genius every single morning when I wake up. Absolutely.